Experimentation, Ruben here, your host of hosts. You guys know that every single week I bring you guys the Real Estate Experiment Show. In addition to being your host for that show, I am also a short-term rental host. That's right, the Airbnb space. And in order to have a successful Airbnb business and operation, doesn't matter if you have one property, two properties, three properties, 12 properties, or 50 properties, the backbone of your business requires you to have a property management software system. Now, what is that? A property software management system allows you to see all your listings all at once. It allows you to know when people are checking in and out. It allows you to have visibility on the front end so that you can give a great experience for your customers checking in and out of your properties on the front end. And for the back end, it means being able to have cleaners there on time, turning over every property on time, and then as well as being able to focus on the details or not focus on the details at all because the PMS does it for you. That's right. Such as being able to send codes for every check-in. You don't have to do that because a PMS software like Guesty for hosts allows you to synchronize and integrate your smart lock system with a PMS software. This is why you need a PMS software like Guesty for hosts, because it allows you to not only be able to operate your business, but it allows you to work on it and not in it because the software does 90% of the work from you from automated templates to generating income reports, to even building a website builder as an option to looking at your statistics, even giving auto reviews to your guests as they check in and out. This is a system, not any system you need guesty for hosts. That's what we use to get to super host status on Airbnb. That's what we use to integrate multiple other channels, multiple listings, to operate our business without having any kinks in the system. And most importantly for your guests, because your job as a host is to take care of your guests the exact same way I take care of my guests that come on the show here in the exact same way I have a duty to take care of you, the audience. So if you're looking to be into the short-term rental space or you currently are and you do not have a PMS software, make sure you check out Guesty for Hosts. It's what we use. I always share with you guys what I'm using as a true practitioner in the space. And it is the backbone of our short-term rental business that have allowed us to scale and continue to add more properties and continue to be the super host that we are as we continue to serve the guests that come in and out of our properties. Make sure you click the link below in the show notes. If you're listening to this, be in the show notes. It could be on the screen as well so that you can let Guesty know that I sent you. Use our unique link at host.guesty.com and you will see the detailed link for you in the show notes or in the bio or video description so that you can let Guesty know who sent you. Who's this? Oh, you're an entrepreneur? Oh, you're a real estate investor. Oh, you're trying to learn from those who did it. Well, come into the lab then. Put your white coat on, gloves on, notepad, and let's build y'all. Real estate experiment, what is happening y'all? Today, I got the man in the building. Michael Elefante as well. Um, man, welcome to the lab, bro. It's been it's been a minute, and I've said I wanted to connect with you on the air. I know we got a chance to connect off offline. I mean, you know, your your mastermind groups and all that. And your I was just saying this. I want to give credit where it's due. Uh, you do a phenomenal job of over delivering and being transparent 
uh, on social and that's how we connected and that's how you stood apart. So I'm like, I got to connect with this brother. He's doing some amazing things in the short-term mental space. And we believe in having practitioners in the lab. And that's why you're here, brother. So what's going on, man? Welcome to the lab. What's going on today, Michael? Yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation, Ruben. So I'm super pumped yeah. to be here, man. We're going to have a fun conversation. No, I've been looking forward to this conversation because like I said, I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's it's really cool because the way I started the real estate experiment, I was documenting my journey, Mike. And then I started interviewing, you know, individuals like yourselves who are practitioners to find out more about the different sectors in the umbrella of real estate. So in the beginning, I was like interviewing, you know, like I have my license, I've, I've, I've wholesaled, I've done all that stuff because I've always loved real estate. But then I started realizing there's a lot of different levels to real estate. There's a lot of different niches within real estate. So then I started this podcast and lo and behold, I fell in love with short-term rentals. So when I came across your profile, I'm like, well, this guy's <clears throat> doing it at a whole nother level in a very lean way. And when I say lean, I've interviewed guys, you know, they talk about, oh, we got a thousand units and we're syndicating, we're doing all that. I'm like, that's cool. But I also know some brothers like Mike who got a couple, right? And I know you have like one or two long-term rentals, which we talk about, but you also got this lean model of short-term rentals and that is your vehicle. It is lean. It's, it's systematized. And you guys are doing it what I believe is the right way. So I wanted to tip my hat towards you first for, 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 for being such a well-executed practitioner, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all the kind words. And as you said, I'm, my, my goal is transparency through my social outlets. So um, I'm in wide open book, but I think, I think that uh, more and more people are starting to be open online um, mm. like yourself. So it, it's nice to talk with someone else who, uh, you know, shares those values. Cause there's a lot of people out there and historically online or on TV that you'll say, Oh, but, you know, I own this much real estate or it couldn't be anything other than real estate too. Right. And it's like, how can we dive past like that first layer of the onion? So I like to just be wide open with people, yeah. you know, cause it, you know, not, what is it? Knowledge is knowledge is power. It's a, the more information you have at your disposal, you know, the more, the more, the more you could do. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what you, you know, whether you subconsciously are doing it or not, I think, you know, cause I'm into branding and content and I, I love that stuff. Uh, you're, you're relatable, right. And, and the only way to be relatable is if you're transparent. And I think often what happens is we fall into this cycle of let me just show my best self rather than just being relatable and transparent. Uh, like experimentation knows that when I failed my license test, I put it out there. I posted, it. you know, failures happen. It's part of the process. Uh, you know, when I had, you know, a bad review, I posted the other day, what do you do with a bad review? Do you fix the problem? Do you listen to the problem behind it? Or do you hide behind it only on see the good reviews? Like, and I think, people can take a page from your book or from whoever. If you look at someone who's doing content very well, they're being relatable and they're being transparent. I think you've obviously mastered that. And was that always the case? Let me ask you, what's, what's the background here, Mike? We didn't talk about this. We, I'm, yeah. I'm here <laughs> to discover a little bit more. Let's unwrap. What was the background before this, this whole, cause you, you're, you're, you're big on TikTok too, right? This is where I started. When did you open up the app, man? When did this start? Yeah. So TikTok actually started, I wish I opened it sooner, like a lot of people, right? Um, yeah. I wish I opened it sooner. I guess um, Yeah. So I re- actually originally started in January of 2020. Um, I posted my first YouTube video. And it's kind of like what you said before. I was just like, I was so excited about real estate. I was new to the real estate realm, especially in short-term rentals. We had just made our first investment, set up the property in late 2019. I was like, I had a lot of friends and family like asking like how the experience was. And I was like, 
wouldn't it be fun? Cause I consume a ton of YouTube content, ton of TikTok, Instagram, whatever. That's how I learn, honestly, you know, outside of books and whatnot. So I was like, what if I just regurgitate what I'm learning and just share it? And who knows might find value from it or give me feedback. So I look back at my first video or two and they're super cringy, but you know, it's, it was fun to kind of start there and develop and just share what I was learning throughout the process. And then found like a, a cool niche within short-term rentals, Airbnb space and how to operate kind of like you said, like on a lean model. And I just started sharing the numbers on like the cash flow. So then I did actually a challenge with one of my real estate buddies on, hey, let's do TikTok. You know, his goal is to scale his podcast or his Facebook group. And mine was to funnel people to YouTube. Little did I know that TikTok was going to open up like multiple business opportunities for me outside of the real estate. And that has been my sole, like my main driver of business. What? Yeah, yes, it's crazy. crazy. I didn't even yeah. know that. So you're you're we're looking at our at an influencer here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's Hardly. what it is. No, because you influence me, and I'm paying you uh, to be part of your inner circle because I feel that you've given enough value. Had you not posted that, I wouldn't have joined part of what you're doing. And I think I would encourage everyone to join, you know, your Patreon. I know you got a lot of stuff, courses and stuff like that. I mean, look, I'm an educator. So that's an um, educator. I'm a student. So I like to educate myself. I'm not an educator yet. I, I, I consider myself still learning a student in the game. So when I find a good, good teacher, I'm like, okay, cool. This is this, I can learn from this guy. So interesting. So you're using TikTok. I didn't realize it was that similar. What were you doing before though? Just to get some context before, before I get into this stuff, like, you, were you working a job? Like what, what was the yeah. background? Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually a, an athlete growing up. I played baseball through college and that was always my passion consumed a ton mm. of my extra time, right? That's all I wanted to focus on. And I didn't have the opportunity to play professionally, which was ultimately my goal. So I was like, what do I do with my life type of thing? You know? So mm. stumbled into a couple job interviews, um, got into a sales role, was doing business development, you know, hammering the phones every day, very old school. I was, it, it sucked. I was miserable. Uh, and like the pursuit of chasing the paycheck is only so great, but if you hate what you do every day, and this isn't forever, like necessarily, you know, synonymous with everybody's perspective on their job, but for me, it kind of was. So I was like, how do I get out of this? Started learning more about like the Robert Kiyosaki, the financial freedom, mm. all that stuff, the rich dad, poor dad stuff. Um, and that's what got me interested in, interested in real estate. You know, stock market was cool, but that's still like, a little bit out of my comfort zone for the most part. Um, so I was like, okay, I got to save up and learn. So I was like in the consumption of content phase for a year or two. And in during that time, I was focused on, well, how to, how can I boost my earnings, my income as much as possible? Cause I know that can expedite the process to you know, invest more. Um, so I changed jobs several times, job top, I networked my butt off, um, did work my way up in the sales world. Eventually, you know, to, I was an outside sales rep, ultimately in Nashville, Tennessee. And at that point it kind of clicked for me, like, let's dive into our first short-term rental. Um, and just to add a little bit of, um, I guess, seasoning to the pot, it was pretty funny. We, we bought our first place in late 2019 and I was like, oh, we have to furnish this entire thing. So I sold my truck that I had just paid off. Like I was like going crazy, wow. just paying it off as fast as I could my dream truck. Still miss that to this day. Sold it so I could take that cash from the sale and furnish the property. And from there, never looked back. And we were financially free. Our goal was like 10 years. We were financially free in 12 months mm -hmm. and quit our jobs in about 16 months. 
What what made you go? Because I'm so glad you, you talk about Robert Kiyosaki. You talk about you know getting education. What made you go into short term versus long? I mean, traditionally, you know, a lot of us we listen to bigger pockets. We're like, oh, cool, like let's do this thing of house hacking, right? Like that's what you hear. Wholesaling, that's what you hear. Short term yeah. rentals. I discovered that from I told you another mic. The mics. Yeah. I'm telling you, the mics are golden. <laughs> Shout out to Mike Shogren, man. Episode 92. I still remember it because I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> and he. Got, I don't know how he got introduced. Actually, I gotta. I gotta think about it now. But how did you get introduced to short term rentals? That was my plug. What was yours? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, like everyone else, right? I was initially. I learned a little bit about wholesaling. I still don't even understand it at the time. I get it now, but I was like, I, what is wholesaling? I was like, it seems illegal, you know, but anyways, it's like, I saw people making money on it. Um, it was a little over my head at the time. I was like, all right, let's do, I was big into bigger pockets, long-term rentals, duplex house hack. And I'm like, this is great. Uh, but you know, how many doors as big, you know, say how many doors do I have to scale to, to, to reach financial freedom? That's and what I was, I'm saying. Mike. You know, I'm like, I don't need a hundred. <laughs> you hear people talk about 50 to hundred doors. And I'm like, well, what is your cash flow? And that's where the transparency thing came for me. I was like, Who's going to share with me the cash flow? Because ultimately, that's what I care about. I don't give. Yeah. I don't care about how many doors you have. Yeah, that's you know, it, it's great, right? Yeah. I care about net worth and cash flow because ultimately, that's how you scale and grow your business, right? And and financial freedom, enough cash flow to pay for your month monthly liabilities, right? Um, so how did I get introduced to short term rentals? Moved to Nashville. We started looking at single family homes to rent, duplexes. And I was crunching the numbers and I was having a really hard time finding a deal that would work even for like two to 400 bucks a door. My goal is, you know, over like 10%, whatever bigger pockets, cash on cash return goal is, right? Or yeah. The 1% rule, yeah. And my neighbor worked for a property management company called Epic BNB in Nashville. So I started like asking her questions, like how are these things actually booked? You read online, like, can you actually make money on Airbnb? And I was skeptical like everyone else. Then I met with a new realtor who had just left his uh, corporate finance job and he was focusing on selling to short, you know, buying and selling for investors for specifically short-term rentals in Nashville. That's how he stood and he blew up. He's a top 100 agent in Nashville within two years. I'm He'd not be a good person that's to bring so, on your podcast too. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's like him. I don't know. Do you know Avery Carl? Yeah, I spoke with Avery too. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. She was on our platform, and she's uh, she's actually opening up. I need to connect with her. I actually sent her an email yesterday because she's in Blue Ridge, which I'm in Georgia, and I'm trying to get to the camp. Yeah. We'll talk about that yeah. in a little bit. Blue Ridge is a good but, market. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he knows. He knows his markets. But okay, so interesting. By the way, it's it's the the rich the riches are in the niches like when you told me that he does just that i'm like yeah he's probably crushing it and he is i think that's that's key uh the fact that he's doing the, the short-term rental investor so he how did you find this guy like this is a so came he, from the other connection his wife yeah. worked at that management company with my neighbor mm. so i was like hey i'm kind of interested i want to like crunch some numbers and i'm like very conservative with my forecasting. I was like, I need it to make sense for me to like anyone, you're investing a large sum of money into a property. Yeah. So I was like, all right, let's talk to this guy. He taught me the zoning laws in Nashville. And I said, if you find me some properties, I'll run the numbers and I'm ready. And within a month we were under contract. And when I ran these numbers on a, the most conservative basis, we were still getting like a 25 to 35, if not higher cash on cash return. And the monthly cash flow was in the thousands not in the yeah. hundreds. Just to put things into perspective, I believe, you know, your 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 best long-term, not best, I shouldn't say it like this, but a respectable cash on cash return and long-term rentals is typically 
per month, right? You're already talking about you're 25. You're, you're already two, two X that. Um, so that's really interesting. So what did you, do you remember what the numbers were on that first property? Just to give people some context as to like, you know, mortgage, maybe, you know, I know you're a numbers yeah. guy, so you might be able to yeah. help us out here. Yeah, sure. So the purchase price was 495. It was a new build. Someone had bought it, but they didn't do anything with it. They just wanted to kind of almost like flip a new, a new construction once it was finished building. So I bought it from them. It was empty. It was a four bedroom place, nice rooftop lounge. And it's actually kind of a cool story because we were trying to figure out how to stand out. Right. So we actually did a 15% down conventional loan, investment loan. Um, interest rate was like 4.5 or 4.9. Since then, is we this have your first property or first property? First, 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 first 15% down? 15% down. Yeah. We've only put 20% down on one property, which is pretty awesome. So I get there's some tricks around there for short term rentals, which is pretty cool. But yeah, yeah. 15% down. And the mortgage, I think the low 2000s. Um, so I already crunched like, you know, operating expenses, what the utility bills would be, taxes, insurance, what would we have to clear, right? And then I look at average daily rate and occupancy rate, which is how many days per year you'd be rented. You know, you multiply those two together, that's your revenue. So we look at like the monthly and then the annual, what, it, what the potential was. Uh, so this is like in the end of 2019, we got some bookings. We're like, oh my gosh, this could be crazy. Um, and then COVID came and it was very slow for a lot of 2020 but it didn't stop us. We got a second property, but I just want to fast forward to like normal times, like normal travel in Nashville. Um, I just had posted a video on TikTok yesterday. The past six months we've been on the road. I haven't even been to the property in six months. It has averaged a $7,400 a month in cash flow. That's bananas. Uh, on a place that was, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's going to, it's going to gross well over a hundred grand this year where normally as a so around what nine to ten thousand dollars a month in revenue. Normally, this place would rent for less than four grand a month as a long-term rental. How many bedrooms? Four. And you guys, you said Nashville. Correct. Yep. Uh, what's your who, who's what's the avatar that comes through the doors typically? Is it everybody or is it kind of little so, families? Yeah. yeah. So I I didn't quite hit on this point earlier. So. We tried to figure out like what would our niche be with that first property, how we stand out. Um, and we know Nashville is huge for bachelorettes, right? And bachelor mm. parties too. Can we sure. cater to that market? We drive around Nashville. There's outdoor murals everywhere. It's kind of a mural city. Yeah. A lot of cities are turning into that, right? But I remember seeing in the hundreds lines, mostly women, but you know, sometimes couples, families, in the hundreds on a Saturday morning waiting to take a picture in front of this thing with like angel's wings. And I don't know if it was Taylor Swift or another celebrity took that photo. Now everybody wants to take the photo. People literally come to Nashville. Most of them come to see the music, right? But some people literally come to Nashville to take photos with the murals. I they literally just did that the other day. I posted it on my Instagram. There was like this big heart thing yeah. uh, in Nashville. And I just, I did this exact same thing. Yeah. And same thing. I used to live in Austin, Texas. There's an, I love, uh, I love, what is it? I love you mural on a little coffee yeah. shop on Congress street. And people would line up to take that photo every day, all day. So I was like, how can we bring that inside the house? Like, what, what would that do as far as creating an Instagramable moment? So we hired a local mural artist. Um, I had this idea in my head. I told my wife, she's like, you're crazy. That's cheesy. I was like, let's call it Butterfly b and We'll do like butterfly wings and make it like stained glass almost on the inside with different colors. And it has Nashville written above it. They're huge wings on this big living room wall. I was like, what if we cater to bachelorettes? They will literally book that place because we want them to create a memory 
It's not just a hotel that like a pillow to pop their head on. And because of that, we're typically booked months in advance every weekend at 1.5 to 2x the rate as our neighbors could have the same floor plan because of that mural. How much did that mural cost you? 2,500. Okay. So I want to highlight that for a second because you just taught me this uh, two days ago. We meet every Mm -hmm. Tuesdays, right? And I was blown away by this because you did an interesting analysis, which is kind of like you did a really realistic ROI on like, okay, you know, do I really get an ROI if I invest into this specific item in my home? Well, yes, you do. If it brings you at a whole different tier and you said something key, you just said that 1.5 X, what your other competitors are charging on a nightly basis, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think typically the other four bedrooms there are charging four to maybe 800 a night, sometimes more, but usually we're booked at like the 700 to a thousand dollars a night on the weekends, the weekdays, not as much, but the weekends, that's our target uh, for that place. And so you said four, 400 for the the neighbors, 700 for you. Yeah. On, on the lower end for the weekends, about average. So that mirror was bringing back that return very quickly. Yeah. And it helps us be booked in advance too, because yeah. larger bachelorette groups, like, you know, when, in, and my wife and I just got married. So like when the engagement happens, you're pumped, you're ready to plan that bachelorette and bachelor party, right? Cause you want to get everything planned. Those are oftentimes booked months in advance. So it gives us a much longer booking lead time for like the, the big weekends and holidays and things like that for the busy season in Nashville um, to, it gives us some comfort to where we can start fill those other dates last minute. Uh, but yeah, like going back to what you said, like, Oftentimes people are like, how much, you know, should we rehab the house? Should we just go bare bones? I think a lot of mistakes beginner short-term rental investors make is just going bare bones um, because they know they're going to make good money and there's no doubt about it. But if you want to take a place that's going to do 50,000 a year to one that does 120,000 a year in revenue, because it's very possible. If you just take it to the next level with maybe a cosmetic rehab and more importantly, how do you furnish it? How do you create, you know, one to two key moments or wow factors within that property that earns you that extra click on Airbnb. It's all about click rate for me. It's no different than TikTok or Instagram. What's going to hold someone's attention? And you want to create that experience to where they want to book your place for those one or two reasons versus the other houses and thousands of places that look very similar online. So what are those key key moments? And in turn, how much does it cost you to add these things, whether it's like an outdoor fire pit or a mural, for example, and how much can that increase your occupancy and daily rate? And by punching those two things in, how does it fluctuate our cash flow and our cash on cash return? And if it goes up, it's worth it to me, right? The cash on cash return. Oh, absolutely. On a long-term basis. I mean, wait, so I love, I don't think I've heard you because I'm very, in, in, uh, I pay attention when someone like you is speaking and you're saying one to two key moments, which is actually very you know, interesting. I haven't heard that before. What define a moment for you? Because I, I you think you described it very well, Mike, when you said the wings. I'm like, oh, that's right. Like, it's, it, I kind of connected the dots. I had no idea that, that that's how it happened. But like, that's smart. Like, oh, okay, this is an experience. This is a moment where we can take pictures, etc. What would be other key moments? Are you thinking that memory, do moments equal memories? Is that where you're getting at here? Like, what are you, yeah, what are you like, creating? What, what's, what's what could be... That? What could be a photo moment? I mean, a huge part of everyone's lives nowadays, or at least most people, especially younger people and younger families is 
like taking photos, taking videos and creating that memory that they'll cherish. And maybe if it's a vacation destination, like the mountains, lakes, whatever, for maybe holidays, they're going to make those memories and then maybe even come back. Now, the coolest part about that is everyone wants to post a photo on Facebook, Instagram, do TikTok videos and show everyone else, look at this amazing place I'm staying in. I'm staying here. That's what I want. It's free marketing too. So we'll have like a little hashtag on the walls. You know, sometimes people will tag our Instagram account, which has, you know, all of our properties on it. Um, They'll tag us in those photos, not a ton, but sometimes they do, which is, it's just sits there. It's just free marketing for us. We've had people reach out and say, my friend stayed there. I want to stay there. And I'm like, once you see that come full circle, I'm like, people are going to book our places regardless, but that is, that is going to help us out greatly in the long run. So those one to two key moments elaborating on that more. Sorry, just kind of beat around the bush there. So anything that can create what I would call an Instagrammable moment or create an experience for someone. So by experience, I mean, if you have a backyard, but there's nothing there, you and I were talking about one of your Airbnbs the other day, what is like one or two things we could add there that would make the photo really pop? Because at the end of the day, you need to earn that click and then get people in their mind thinking about staying there and how great of a time they're going to have. So we talked about like adding a swing chair, which looks really cool in photos, adding string lights, um, adding maybe a fire pit and doing a sunset photo with the fire pit or maybe an outdoor grill or all of the above hot tub. Those things create that moment. And that could be your first or second photo on Airbnb on your listing. That's what's going to earn you that click to learn more about the property. So you might have all these other amazing things in that property, but if no one ever clicks on that first photo, they're never going to see it anyway. So how, how can you create that one specific moment? that earned you that click. I love that. That's because that's what it's all about. So let me ask you, do you have a mic? Do you have like an Instagram page for every property? And, and, and do you have your individual website as well? Cause maybe that's another conversation people talk about, well, you're dependent on that. So what if they shut it down? I'm very curious. And I actually don't even know the answer to this. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really asking out of the blue. Yeah. Uh, is this something that you have created so as we- well baked in? Yeah, we initially created an Instagram page for Butterfly BNB, and we literally called it Butterfly BNB. Um, but then once we created more properties, we're like, it's not sustainable for us to create a different Instagram page for each property because who's yeah. going to follow individual properties? So then we switched it and called it Luso BNB. And uh, Luso stands for luxury, I believe, in Italian. So it could sound, sounds cool too, catchy. So I was like, let's call it Luso BNB. We'll create a little website. Um, which has links to Airbnb and has photos and stuff, but the Luso BNB is the Instagram page. So you know, it doesn't have a ton of following, but it's a splash page where people can tag us in their photos. And in the yes. guidebooks, we tell them, hey, tag us in your photos if you'd like, um, which is great. Just anybody that sees that photo, they might even ask them, hey, where'd you stay? And they'll be like, oh, we stayed here. Um, so yeah, free marketing. It's so smart. It's so smart. I, I'm, I'm all in with this marketing stuff because it's... Uh, it's a contact sport and you want to be in it. And, and we kind of do a little bit of the same with our podcast when we repurpose other people's podcasts because uh, that content leads our service. Like who did that for you? Right. That's the kind of, you know, exponential growth that you want. So I think that's genius. And I that's I think people should do that more often. Super smart. What's your take on um, you talk about you created a website, you know, you have maybe even SEO who knows what's your take on leveraging the existing platforms where people are hanging out versus people versus what people say, Oh, you should book direct, et cetera. Like, do you have a, an opinion on that and the take? Cause 
uh, I'd be curious to hear uh, what your thoughts are on, 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 on leveraging platforms and or, you know, taking people off those platforms. Yeah. Um, honestly, we have not set up direct bookings yet. I mean, out of our four properties, I'm going five now. Uh, when people think book something, they now they think Airbnb. That's uh, what or, I'm v- or, v- or VRBO or Verbo yeah. for the traditional vacation spots. Um, there's other ones like Vacasa that are kind of growing, but even Vacasa, they put their properties on Airbnb. You know, Airbnb's got the name recognition. Like, hey, I'm gonna instead of you don't take a taxi anymore. Hey, I'm gonna catch a new like right? Yeah. So I'm not really focused on direct bookings. The only reason I will eventually consider doing direct bookings is because Airbnb customer support for hosts is subpar when it comes to disputes on as soon as COVID happened, they had their lawyers redo everything on and called an extenuating circumstances policy to where they took control away from the host. No matter what your cancellation policy is, they, they'll just override it and refund guests if it, if it falls under the you know, umbrella of extenuating circumstances, which is completely open to interpretation on their documents, which I read through mm. thoroughly. And is that still... I was going to yeah. pretend as if we've made it past COVID. I was like, is this post COVID? There's no such yeah. thing as post. So right. this is, <laughs> we're in it. So even after that- they put in travel insurance, oh, it doesn't matter. Someone said someone, you know, which it was like a month over a month before one of our guests arrived recently. And this is after they said, after this date, you can no longer get free cancellations for COVID. If you'd still, if you get COVID and show a positive test to Airbnb, even if it's over a month before, right? And we'll get into like the COVID debate on when you have the virus still or not, because it's, I guess people still don't know, right? Um, those guests requested to cancel. And we said, you know, we're going to have to abide by our cancellation policy. Like, I, hopefully you guys can still make it. We'd love to host you, you know, but yeah. it's hard to fill dates last minute in a, in a 12 to 16 person house in the mountains. Yeah, 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 so yeah. it's tough on us. That's why we have the cancellation policies to protect our interests. Right. Um, but they messaged Airbnb, Airbnb over at the policy, gave them a full refund without even consulting us. Mm. And so we, I mean, since COVID happened, we've had, and this, the other people have been hit way harder than us. So I don't want to sound like yeah. a complaining. We're very grateful. We've done very well. We've had at least $50,000 in cancellations just completely overwrote our policy. Stop it. Yeah. Okay. So Mike, from a problem solving risk management. Okay. What's the alternative? Do you get, do you invest in some of those? Uh, and there's some pretty cool tools, right? To you know, mm-hmm. get their Wi-Fi, get their emails, start running campaigns. Hey, you know, come back again. Like what would, what would the alternative be? Cause that's the only way I see direct booking working. Like right. to your point, people are not thinking of, you know, Luso BNB, they're thinking Airbnb. Then when right. they get the experience, they'll think, oh, that was Luso BNB, right? Is that how you're thinking of it too? Or am I thinking about yeah. this incorrectly? I think from a standpoint of protecting our interests, like we are at the mercy of Airbnb or Verbo when those types of decisions happen. Um, and we, you know, we pay a, a fee to list on those platforms, you know, per booking, which is around 3%, VRBO a little more. Um, so that would be the only reason I would want to go direct booking, but direct booking, I'm going to have to go set up, uh, security deposits. I'm going to have to handle that and then refund, you know, them Airbnb does it in the back end for us. They handle all the transactions and everything. So instead of worrying about that on my end, you know, for the most part, you know, everything's fine through Airbnb, BRBO, but that would be the reason to do direct bookings. The other reason is you might be able to make a tiny bit more money because we have guests sometimes, Hey, can I avoid Airbnb fees and book direct with you? And usually I'm like, no, I want to do it through there because also Airbnb provides additional insurance on top of our own insurance. So there's like some added benefits there. 
Um, so those are the only reasons we're hesitant to direct booking. It's kind of more of a time thing. Um, and pe- like, we're going to get booked regardless through those platforms. So, you know, at some point, maybe I know some other people are, are do direct bookings, but the majority of their business is probably still through those ex- existing platforms. Absolutely. I think, great segue, Mike. Um, let's talk about insurance for a second, because it's something that even I think uh, sometimes some hosts overlook or perhaps they're not as familiar. What what are some kind of what does Airbnb and again, you're not a spokesman for Airbnb. He's not your advisor. We're just trying to get some data <laughs> here, right? Uh, I'm just trying to learn and educate as well and help the community as well to our listeners. So, you know, what does Airbnb have an insurance policy for, for hosts? And should I get an additional one as well on top of that? Like, what? how does that work? Maybe you've had, well, obviously, yeah. maybe you've had, uh, you've been exposed to it. So what, what do you know? And what can you share with us about that? Yeah. So first we'll talk Airbnb. So they have something called an air. There's two different parts. They have additional insurance coverage from, I believe, liability, like a personal injury liability up to a certain amount. You're still going to want your own personal insurance beyond that. Um, Why? Why for a list? Why? So for one, they're not going to cover the normal homeowner's insurance, like contents of the house, the structure itself, loss of rents. Um, there are specific umbrella policies bubbling up now, like foremost and proper are the two that I use the most. There's another one. I can't remember it off the top of my head that I just booked for our new Florida house, um, that cover the house loss of rents for short-term rental specifically, um, the structure, and then, you know, one to $2 million, uh, uh coverage for like a personal injury liability perspective, liability coverage. Can so, you can you, can you uh, explain loss of rents before you get into deep? Yeah. What, what is yeah, loss so of rents? If something happens to the house where you are unable to rent under in that particular policies guidelines, there's probably a list of things that would count. If you are unable to rent the property, they will pay you out what you would lose in rents up to a certain amount, I think per month. And depending on the how much you pay your premium, right per year, is how extensive that is. So you can kind of pay more for a better coverage, right? On loss of rents, among other things. So that is really nice to know, like where if something were to happen that's covered under the policy, you could still get paid out by your insurance provider for those loss of rents. I haven't had to do that yet, but it's kind of nice to know, you know. Would an example be, and again, you're not an insurance agent by any means. So if we don't know, we don't know, we can look into it and contact those folks. But I'm just thinking, what's in scope? Is it like my pipe burst? I have to get it fixed. What I would have made that weekend, like, is, do you know? That's a great question. Um, honestly, I probably should know since I talk to people about it all the time, but I know each policy is going to be different in each provider. So that's something we should probably revisit. Um, yeah, be interesting. I'm not I, sure I if it's just it. like yeah. natural disasters, like what's covered. That That's a yeah. great, a great thing. Or I even just a know, cancellation, right? Cancellation. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if that would work. Wouldn't be covered. I, I doubt yeah. it. Um, That'd be nice. But maybe so, there is out there. If yeah. you're out there, let, let, let us know if there's an insurance agent out there. Uh, for specifically short-term rentals, when my bookings get canceled, if you got my back, holla at me. <laughs> yeah. So nice. the second part to the Airbnb thing, so they yeah. they have like a certain amount of coverage there, but I would definitely not just rely on that. It's just kind of a nice to have. Yeah. Um, the second part is called an Airbnb host guarantee, which I'm actually very pleased with as an Airbnb host. So this is when damages occur, right? You can document and the more documentation you do, you can charge guests directly on the platform. It's a very easy process. File a claim, up whatever the damage is. It could be a broken couch, whatever. Document the photos, the receipts, or the replacement couch, or an estimated cost. 
And in most cases, the guests will pay it. And sometimes they refuse. And if your documentation is good, Airbnb will guarantee to pay you out. I think it's up to a certain amount, but we've been paid over $1,000 out by Airbnb before when a guest went dark and refused. Now, I assume most of that or as much as possible gets pulled from the security deposit that we charge guests, but the rest Airbnb will pay out minus like sales tax and delivery fees. Um, But that's been great. So that is another benefit of listing on Airbnb. So beyond the security deposit, if there's damage that you can't recoup from a guest, Airbnb will guarantee kind of protecting you a little bit. Is that, uh, Mike, is that baked into Airbnb or is that an add-on? Nope, it's baked in. Oh, cool. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you ever have damage, super easy way to file a claim. And they'll basically, as long as your documentation is good, they'll basically guarantee that you're you're made whole, at least for the physical thing that was damaged. All right. So so my key takeaway from this conversation is that Airbnb is going to uh, more or less between the guidelines um, cover any damage, you know, within the home perhaps and liability as well for the person if someone was to get hurt in your home. I believe they cover a portion of that. Don't quote me. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Have to go well, back we, we won't get into that. I was just trying to understand what's covered. But then what you're saying is additionally, you would want more coverage for other things such as, again, we don't know, you know, if the pipe burst thing situation, but there's also additional uh, coverage that you can get as, yeah. as a host to put you in a position to, to succeed. It's yeah. interesting. I'd love to see what the overlap is between the two and, and, and something I, I need to look into myself. That's cool. Let's let me ask this. This is a question. I'm going to ask this on behalf of Celine. She's not here right now. Listen, I like to learn from the practitioners. We're already, you know, we're on board. You know, I, you know, one thing is speed, right? When someone says something, they've done it before I take action. That's part of the reason why I have this podcast. So when you give me advice, Hey man, you should do this. I'm like, all right, done ordering this, ordering that. Now let's talk about some liability. All right. I was talking to my fiance about it. I'm like, listen, uh, you know, we were looking at, you know, during the mastermind car, we're looking at some fire pits, et cetera, et cetera. She's like, oh, fire, what gas? Okay. Got it. And people can barely sometimes lock doors, et cetera. How have you gotten, you know, uh, you know, um, been to overcome that, that risk or that concern of that, you know, maybe they don't shut it off and now you got a gas leak and all that. Like, how do you, cause this, you know, I didn't think about it at first. I'm like, yeah, that, that's actually a valid concern. What are your thoughts on that? Is there, mm. is it instructions? Is it, what is it that, how do you mitigate that risk? I think clearly defined instructions on how to use it and what the guests will be held responsible for. Um, mm. if, for example, damage or whatever, but it's also really good communication with your cleaners. Make sure they check those things. Um, so if something was left on, make sure it's off. Um, but yeah, most of the time it'll just be like a use at your own risk type thing, like a hot tub or a pool or a fire pit. Fire pit we have never had any issues with um, other than like the knob on breaking on one. So we had to replace it. But um, we have gas fireplaces in, in our mountain properties too. So it's really just the cleaners kind of checking up on things. And that's why it's so important to hire good cleaners. Um, they're, yes. they're, they're, they're in the house more than anyone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're, you're, it's like you're reading my mind here because we're, we're breaking to the systems part. Obviously, you've been able to. Uh, how many how, how many properties are, do you have now, Mike? Just to give some listeners some context, because again, we talked about not needing to have a thousand units or a hundred. Right. Uh, where are you at now, as far as the sweet spot goes for for? So we have some context. Yeah. So currently, we have four short-term rentals, three of which we went in by ourselves, my wife and I, and one that we split 50-50. 
the investment costs and the cash flow profits proceeds, whatever, um, with another investor um, and his wife. And we have one long-term rental. And then we're under contract for our fifth short-term rental and that we're doing on our own. Yeah. And and to give some context, if you don't mind, because obviously and you've been so transparent, so I'm sure you'd appreciate this. You talked about, yeah, you've maybe lost in 50K in cancellations and people are like, <gasps> but you're also, you know, you have top line. I think you had one month where you had like 85K and you brought home 50K as well in <laughs> one month. Is that correct, Mike? Yeah, that was, we I mean, heard that correctly, right? I just, it's correct. You know, <laughs> like, I think it's really important. Someone's like, wait, what did he just say four or five properties? And then did I just hear 50 K a month? And that's why I'm fascinated by this model. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and this should, you know, if you're kind of like me, when I heard that, that, I think the light bulb went off and, and hopefully if Mike can be that light bulb moment for you, uh, then, you know, that's why I have him here. <laughs> yeah. But for me now I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, uh, a good one. So, okay, that's cool. But there's a lot behind the scenes that needs to happen. Right. And we talked about cleaners and for us, even at the beginning stages, it's, it's, it's such a, we do it out of state. So we're not here, right? We're, I'm here in Manhattan, Atlanta. It's all about checklists. It's all yep. about take, like systems. What are some of the systems that, you know, you've realized that, oh, wow, either we should have done this a long time ago. Like, what are systems that you have in place right now that you wish you would have had a long time ago and yeah. that you believe are required to oh, be yeah. able to, to, to scale the way you have, but at the same time, respectively, right? Four or five properties. Like, what are those that you need? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I just want to profess preface that literally one property, if it's a, if it's done well, and it's usually like a, maybe a little bit bigger or maybe two smaller ones can set you financially free in Airbnb. It's crazy. It's very possible. Um, so the systems that we learned along the way that are necessary, number one, you have to hire cleaners that communicate really well. They're in the property every day. You can go over checklists, um, but make sure that they communicate, not just when things aren't clean, but if they notice something that's damaged or needs replacement, they have to communicate that so you can, you can do it. And thankfully, we can leverage technology today where we couldn't maybe 15 or 20 years ago yeah. to replace things really fast. You know, even guests, if they tell me they're out of trash bags, I can same day deliver from Amazon. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're the best host ever. Yes. Like good reviews. It's literally like three clicks done, you know? know, so it's so easy. Um, but the things that are most important are our software automation tools. So mm. We're able to self-manage four plus properties and only work like one to three hours a week. And one to three hours a week for an average of around 30 to 35 grand in cash flow a month is crazy as far as like return on our time. Granted, it took a lot of time to set these up, but the ongoing management, you can automate around 90% of the business. Um, a couple of tools that we use, we use one a property management software called Your Porter. Now there's other ones out there that are really good. Smart BNB, Guesty, Hostfully. But what these tools do is they sync plat, uh, your listings cross-platform. So if you list one property on Airbnb and VRBO, and even like booking.com or a personal, like a, a direct booking site, it'll sync the calendars, block out dates when they get booked so you don't get double booked. Um, it'll unified inbox so you can automate guest messaging, check-in instructions, check-out instructions, house rules. Um, you'd even automate and sync calendars with your cleaners to have all of that done in the background based on whatever time preference you put in. Like I want the cleaners to get a text or email message one week before every guest checks in, they'll get that notification. 
Um, so there's ways to automate those things in the background to where you don't need to be texting your cleaners or schedules or updating them every time you have a booking because that, that'll get cumbersome. The other thing is pricing. Uh, we use Price Labs. So you can set a bunch of different customizations. And once you put those customizations in, Price Labs will actually intuitively change your pricing daily based on demand in the market, based on the data they're collecting. So that is huge because it will help you capture a higher average daily rate on random weekends that you didn't even know were popular in that area. Maybe there's an event, right? But as you scale, you're not paying attention and going and changing those pricing. Also, it'll lower your prices on days where maybe there's less demand and, and an increased supply to help you capture more bookings to where you might be priced out by $20 a night, you won't get booked. So by setting those customizations and tweaking them and looking at things like booking lead time and like last minute discounts, which you and I talked about the other day, that helps you boost your occupancy and average daily rate ultimately can take a place again that does 80 grand in revenue to maybe one that has 100 grand in revenue. Like that can do crazy things for your cash flow. So those are the main things to help automate, you know, in the background to, to help you guys scale as you're getting started. Because the last thing you want is a full-time second job or third job or fourth job, right? With multiple properties. So if you can figure out a way to scale and leverage technology. And then the last thing I'll mention is redundancy for um, things at the house, like a keyless entry, if it's a battery lock, have a physical key backup. We didn't have that once. And so we had to like go to the house and open the door. So since then we have a physical key backup for all our properties just in case. Um, so just redundancy and things like that. We'll be right back. Love it. Always have a backup plan to a backup plan. That's what I learned as well. Uh, Cause you never know when those go out. We're actually getting one of ours, um, you know, um, replaced and we, we have a backup as well, just in case, but yeah, now cleaners, pricing, in and and then uh, you said redundancy is that what did, what did you call that redundancy yeah like i've never heard of that yeah so it's like just maybe it's just like my tech sales background having redundancy yeah. to where if one redundancy. server fails you need like another backup right i mean that's where if like mm. a google data center fails they have multiple levels of redundancy yes. to where google doesn't shut down right most oh, of the time you're getting fancy <laughs> on me mike redundancy i'm like i like that that might be the biggest Redund- word in my vocabulary <laughs> I love it. I love it. No. So you bring up such a good point. Mike, if you were to pick one of those things, um, well, let me get to the software part. Cause I wanted to ask you this in the rapid fire round, but I'm getting ahead of myself, but you know, there's so much technology we, um, and, and okay. I want to give you another kudos cause this is on the air and I want to give all the kudos. Um, I think it's important, right? Like you gave me a tip about pricing, pricing labs. Cause I was on another platform and I did it right away. And I got like that booking during the week right away when I was, you know, we don't get as many uh, bookings. I was like, okay, optimization. So that's key. And these softwares are available to you. And you talk about the ROI. Well, yeah, if it's getting you more bookings, don't even think about the fee. Like this is part of the game here. Uh, cleaners have been a game changer for us as well. Obviously being out of state, um, and then the smart locks, it's just, it's just peace of mind. It's, it's so true. If you were to think of the most important thing to, to get your time back, because that was big. You literally said return on time. What would the you th- number one thing that you think that oh, maybe we spent too much time doing things this way? We should have just done that. Was it we yeah. should have gotten an extra cleaner? We should have gotten a PMS. We should have gotten smart locks. Like what, what thing comes to mind first when you take yourself back to the beginning stages? And yeah, you're nodding. So I know there's you're, you're reminiscing. Yeah. There's some nostalgia here. What's up? <laughs> yeah, I used to spend way too much time. I was sending calendar reminders to send check-in instructions to people. That and mm-hmm. copying, pasting, adjusting the names. 
with your porter and you can actually do it in Airbnb. Now they have some automated messaging. Automated messaging is key because it, as you scale, you might have, I don't even know who's checking in and checking out now. Like I just, I get notified, Hey, check-in instructions have been sent. Reservation confirmation has been sent. Um, setting up the systems up front to where you have those automated messages and you can schedule them however you want. It'll put in the person's name. You can make customize all that. Um, setting those up in a way that um, it just, it happens in the background and it takes that off your plate completely. Because if you schedule multiple properties, you'd have to be worried about four to five messages you know, share, on Friday. Yeah. And then the thing is, is setting that up in a way for guests to where you give them, you don't want to overload them with information but give them as much as possible and maybe a bullet point fashion of how to check in. What's the Wi-Fi? If the deadbolt's not working, use this code to get the physical key. I want them to have all the information they need because I don't want them talking to me. I want them enjoying their time oh. here and having a great experience. So um, as far as directions, getting to the houses in the mountains, it could be a little tricky. So I'm, I even tell them you know, how to download an offline version of Google Maps to where if they lose cell service, they could still access maps to get to the house. Because I don't want them calling me at, at 10 p.m. How do I get into your house? Is this the right house? You know, so all of that they have is all that information to where I just want to their experience to be as seamless as possible. And don't talk to me. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. You just said something that just hit me. Like, we don't talk about the backup plans until they happen. So right. you're saying remove that and even include it so that it, even if it does happen, I'm still, not in, that's so cool, man. Like that's a key takeaway. I didn't, I didn't realize that like, oh yeah, even give them the code to the backup lock, keypad lock yeah. in case. And now we don't do that at all our properties currently. Mm -hmm. We probably should um, just because we want to limit the amount of times guests actually touch a physical key because eventually it'll get lost. Exactly. Um, but after we had to replace the lock several times, because electronic locks will malfunction every once in a while, they'll spin constantly and drain the battery. We're like, you know what? This place is booked constantly. It's up in the mountains. Like we're going to go ahead and just give the backup key. So we don't even hear from them ever. And it's great. They'll just let us know if the lock's dead and we'll get maintenance to go change the batteries. So yeah, automation is key. And um, talk about like return on your time. At the end of the day, I want to make as much cash flow as possible with as little time output as I can. Because most property managers, you know, eventually we may outsource, but most property managers will take 20 to 40% of top line revenue. So we're talking next year, we may do upwards of a million dollars in top line revenue. If we're to pay someone 20 to 40%, that's two to $400,000, right? And we'll still cash flow well, but if it takes two to four hours a week to manage our properties at that point, I mean, I could do the math and be like, you know, it's probably worth a couple hours a week yeah, still to manage, a, you know, a hefty hourly fee there, my right. friend, if you were looking <laughs> to look at it that way. Right. So leverage <laughs> technology in a way that can really benefit you and help people scale to where those technology, like technology is democratized short-term rentals for everybody to where you don't have to pay a property manager to sit there with the physical key to help check guests in, check them out, do prop, like all that stuff. It's like, if you can use technology in a way to automate it, it's like economies of scale just becomes cheaper with the more properties you have. And we went on systems you have in place. Um, anybody can list a property and manage it from anywhere. Mm, I love that. That that seems like an opportunity of, of kind of re revolutionizing the, the way property management companies operate. I was, I was just thinking about that the other day. I'm like, this, this could be a niche thing where mm -hmm. you're a virtual property management company. Have you thought of that? Do you, do you take on other people's uh, listings as well? Or is that something you're not interested in? So I have thought about it. I actually have a lot of people reach out that have asked me if we want to manage their properties. And I'm, 
I'm on the fence with it. Part of me is like, yeah, we could take a co-host fee, right? Because you can co-host. That's also maybe a good segue to another conversation for listeners who are like, I don't have any money, but I want an Airbnb. Well, you co-host. Mm. takes a lot of effort to network and get that first deal to where you manage somebody else's property and you get a cut of the revenue. And again, you could automate 90% of it through tech. Um, that's a great way to start making money every month with little effort once you're all onboarded. And once you have one, it's easier to get the next deal. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't, we haven't taken any co-host deals, but I actually refer people to other investors that I know that are trying to scale a co-host business. So I'm more than happy to refer people, but right now we're focused on just kind of growing our thing. Um, but yeah, it may change in the future. Yeah. It'd be interesting. I mean, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to ask you, what is the end goal, Mike? Uh, because you know, it's interesting for, for, for me and for some of our listeners, we hear, you know, bigger pockets, we hear all that. I'm like, oh yeah, we got to get as many doors as possible. And then you're like, no, 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 that, that's not the game. I mean, at least that's not the game for me. Uh, for, you know, I like the lean model now. I've fallen in love with it. Uh, and obviously we love cash flow as, as business owners. Um, but for you, uh, is it, you know, do you plan on in taking that to a multi-fi, multi-family long-term? Is the goal or to just continue to, is it, is it to kind of grow a boutique hotel? Like, what are, your, what are your thoughts? I mean, you have so many options, which I find is so cool. And that's what I like about this business model. I think there's so many areas you can break into. Uh, what are your thoughts, though? Where, where do you see yourself uh, taking this, this, this empire? Yeah, so I think it, there's a couple different buckets. Um, I'm grateful for TikTok and other social media platforms to where it's able to me to grow other businesses. And one of those is like education, the E, the, yeah. I guess call it e-education for lack of better terms, like the online education space. I'm able to help other people do exactly what I'm doing by sharing my resources in a step-by-step guide. So seeing other people and that do it and then message me, like one person messaged me last week, he set up one property, he's cash flowing 11 grand a month. So like seeing that is like life-changing to someone else. And like they paid me a, a, a fee to access like a course, for example, which at the end of the day for me, like that's great. But to see that and someone, they could leave their job tomorrow if they wanted to, you know what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. that is really, that's amazing to me. So it's more holistically thinking about like just life in general and like helping others achieve their goals too. But as far as the short-term rentals are concerned, yeah, I think we'd like to scale. We'd love to break a million bucks in cash flow a year. Um, our goal is by 2023. That's our stretch goal to hit a million. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, it's like, okay, maybe we do some multifamily or commercial deals, boutique hotels are our unique opportunity. I know Mike Chopin is, is doing that. And that's a really, yeah. really cool, almost like a blend between commercial real estate and yes. short-term rentals, right? Because yeah, you get the benefit. That unique, yeah. Um, a lot of benefit there. So we don't really know, but we're definitely open to opportunities starting to make some investments into startup companies too, which is kind of interesting now that we have capital to do so. So like a very, very small scale, not angel investor, but maybe yeah, it's I was going to give you the title. That. Okay. Angel very Mike. small scale. Angel Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you all sorts of branding today. Don't just feel free to give me credit yeah. down the line. It's funny. Like um, so yeah, like so it's like, we're, I'm just open to opportunities and just seeing where life takes us at this point. But I, I'm also outside of the real estate. I'm really focused on scaling social media and reaching other people and helping other people do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and in turn, it's been amazing for, for me and my wife, because I've been able to build several businesses out of it through affiliate marketing and through um, the education side, through group mentorship, all sorts of different buckets, which the income has grown like way beyond my expectations, which is great. So I'm like, I might as well focus on that because people are getting benefit from it. So all these different buckets have been really cool. And like the beauty of it is I used to wake up 
dreading going to work and hating picking up the phone and calling customers and making sales. But like every day is like, if I work, usually I work like an hour or two a day, I'll be honest, because we've been traveling so much. But if I were to work 10 hours a day and do a bunch of these calls, like I like manifest in it. It is so fun. I assume likewise for you. It's just, yeah. It, I, I guess I'm passionate about it. So it's like, it doesn't feel like work at all, you know, and it's Absolutely. just, it's empowering. You know, I have more energy throughout the day. So that whole aspect of financial freedom and getting your time back to chase what you actually are passionate about. Um, even if you love your job, I think real estate is a great way to take the aspect of earning money from that job off the table to where you could be that much better at your job or, or with your family. If you didn't have the stress of earning income from that job, right? You have it coming in regardless from over here. Yeah, no, I, I, I forget where I heard this, Mike. I think someone said we as human beings all have great intentions, right? Uh, we're just a lot of us are busy and you know, kind of like that rat race that we don't. If we were given a lot more free time, or in this case, earned, if you were to earn more free time, we would do a lot more good with that time. We just don't have the time because we're too busy working for that dollar or and then you know you get home you're exhausted so i'm a huge believer um of of uh, i wonder have you read the millionaire fast lane by mj demarco no but i would love to read it if it's a good recommendation oh man this is my book that's my favorite book i gotta ask you what because you know you read rich that part and everything that's that's the book and uh, i have all sets i don't even have them here behind me i have the other sets in the other room uh you know uh, uh it's unscripted I mean, this is why I'm a believer of that freedom because, you know, the, the, the good that you can do, right? Like if you didn't have, you know, it's not about you. It's about who loses if you don't win, right? So if you didn't build what you built, you can't help me build what I'm trying to build. And I think that fulfillment that you get, it's bigger than you and you start realizing that. So uh, that's what's up. Listen, you said e-learning. We're getting towards the end here. I want you, you know, you talk about e-learning. I've learned a lot from you online. Totally. Let's talk about this section. It's called the, the, the growth hacking section, right? So if I'm listening to this, I'm like, okay, I got it. I got to get systems. I got to get all this. Okay. I think we've identified that once you get set up, the goal is to increase your occupancy rate or, and, or, you know, your price and, or both, right? You know, how can I get in the top tier of, of average daily, uh, daily rate? to how can I increase my occupancy? And if I do those two, I should be golden. What are some things top of mind that you're like, you know, hey, you got to have this, you got to have that, you got to have this for me to be able to growth hack my listing. If I'm at 5K, how do I get to 10K? If I'm at 10K, how do I get to 20K? 20K, how do I get to 50K? 50K to 100K. I mean, you're saying these numbers and I'm like, what does it take for that beginner or that novice short-term rental listing, Airbnb listing to go to that next level to get those high occupancy rates and those high bookings? What are some principles? Yeah. So I guess I'll start with two things, thinking about um, future properties that you don't have yet. Uh, location is really key. Now mm. it's not, you don't always, it needs to be in the right market. So leveraging tools like AirDNA, there's some other ones like Mashover, even Price Labs has their own market tool now. Leverage data that's already out there collected by someone else and see what the, like the trends is. Like, what's the seasonality of that market? Are you looking for just to get crazy booked during the summer months at a lake house? Or are you looking for something more steady throughout your steady cash flow? Location is key. And then I'll call it proximity within that market. Once you narrow down one or two markets, where in that market, what pockets are going to do better and why? Like, are people going 
to Nashville because they want to go see the live music downtown? Or are people going to a city or maybe a town that is close to a national park? So is proximity important? If it is, what is the price difference in real estate or the cost of acquisition if you're doing buy and hold versus arbitrage for that particular location? And what is the R like, basically you want to choose between the ROI. Like, can I still go 10 minutes outside the city, get a much better deal, but my ROI is higher, or should I spend more on the location, right? The proximity to the downtown or whatever. So that's one. Um, And then once you have the listing, how to stand out, like what I'll call it X factor. My friends make fun of me for calling it that. So sometimes we'll say wow factor, but I'll call it X factor. Why should you earn a click on Airbnb? So if you already have an existing listing, what in that property, like just pick one space. Is it the outdoor space, living room, kitchen, bedroom? What is the one thing that should earn you click? What is your wow factor? And if you don't have one, think about ways that you could transform one of those rooms into a wow factor. Spend a little bit extra money doing that and then take professional photos. Do not skimp on photos. And you know this, right? I mean, professional photos are everything. Um, And you could look at like people that are, are models, for example, if you were to take a, pho- a photo and just pour a poorly lit room that's not edited with a phone, it might look okay, but then you stack it up to one that's been edited through Lightroom and Photoshop and it's taken with a high quality camera and you put those two next to each other and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, same thing with real estate. Um, I'll never forget this. I, this guy, I was trying, it was a very poorly lit room in our second Airbnb and this guy came and he showed me the technology he was using to take three different exposures on the, every single photo. And he would use Lightroom to mesh them together. So looking down a hallway, the bathroom was really dark. The kitchen was medium light and down the hallway was light, like over light, overlit, whatever you want to say. And so by taking those different exposures, he meshed them together through software and the whole thing, you could see every detail in that photo. So I'll never forget that moment. I'm like, can't skip on photos. Um, so having that good, those good photos is what's going to make your property look better, even better than it maybe is, right? Um, to earn that click. So those are like the few things I think to take it to the next level. Wow. And then, and then in keeping in mind those key moments that you mm-hmm. talked about, um, I think it's key. As far as occupancy rates goes, because I think that was good. You talked about the location, proximity, uh, standing out, earning that click. Once I'm established, probably kind of what we were going through, you know, uh, uh, I wouldn't say established, but once you have an established listing, perhaps, um, is it the same kind of lens when you're saying, hey, how do I increase occupancy rate? Or is it you're just a technology away or software away? It, what, what, what do you think typically is the, that growth hack that helps someone go from like 50% occupancy mm-hmm. to like 80? Is there something yeah. that you found is lacking typically? So there's a couple things that you can leverage and I'll call this like the perpetual life cycle with short-term rentals or Airbnbs. Um, the more positive reviews you get, that helps boost you in Airbnb search results. Same thing with VRBO. And the more active you are as a manager of your listing, I believe Airbnb's algorithm sees that as more active management. So they'll also slightly boost you in search results. And you get super hosts and all this stuff. Um, reviews are key though. So in this is why I choose your portal versus other softwares is you can actually turn toggle auto review on and I'll auto review guests and you could turn, you could turn it off for any particular guest. If you feel like they didn't deserve a five-star review, but I review every single guest five-star every time. And I send an automated message saying, thank you for your stay. Like we loved hosting you all five stars in your inbox. Um, would love if you could return the favor. And this is key here. We ask if there's any private feedback and I think this is actually an Avery Carl hack. She actually showed me this. Um, 
So I want to give credit where it's due. She said, if there's private feedback, then how we can improve, message us privately or put it in the private notes for the host section. So mm. it's not publicly reviewed. So it has saved our butt so many times on where maybe someone would give us a four overall. They give us a five star and say, hey, by the way, this needed to be addressed. It wasn't clean here or whatever. Maybe the cleaners dropped the ball. That enables us to get a much higher review rate and a much higher overall score. Um, and by auto reviewing people, you should review every single guest because Airbnb will ping the hell out of people. Yes. Hey, you were reviewed in order to see what your host said about you. You need to submit a review in the next 14 days and they'll remind them like every other day until that 14 day window is done. Um, so it's helped us drastically boost the amount of reviews we get because we used to struggle getting people to leave reviews for us. The more reviews you get, this starts the life cycle. All of a sudden, the higher you're getting boosted in search, the more clicks you're going to get because the more eyeballs are going to be on it. The more clicks and eyeballs you get on your property, the more bookings you're going to get and the supply is going to go down for your property, right? The availability. So people are going to start booking further out. When they book further out, you can start charging more per night. This is where you get the higher average daily rate. And then people perceive the average daily rate, a higher rate with less availability with value. So they're like, why is everyone else booking this place? I want to book this place. So we start getting more bookings, higher occupancy, further out, um, which helps us, and at a higher rate, ultimately boosts revenue. So then it starts that life cycle, right? And it just keeps going and going and going. Um, So that'll ultimately take a place that does 50 grand and one that does maybe 80, you know, plus that helps. Review driven. So I have a technical question there on that because- uh, Air, I'm, I'm curious as how you time it because one, I'm thinking, okay, typically I think our, our checkout is like 11 and I think mm-hmm. by like noon, by like noon or something else is how did this guest do mm-hmm. or something along those lines. So typically we ask our cleaners to give us feedback of yep. how it was before anything. So you, it sounds like you're just saying, you know, out of good, good, good karma, maybe you just, you were great even if maybe they left the place a little messy and they didn't follow mm-hmm. directions, you just kind of do that to keep the algorithm going. Now, the yeah. only thing I'm curious though, is um, they don't see your review, at least Airbnb. That's what I understand until they write a review. Am I not correct? Correct. But Airbnb pings the guest and says, Michael reviewed you in order to see what they said about you. Basically you need to review them first. So like oh. anybody, it's like, well, what did somebody say about me? I want to know what the review was. I'm, they'll review it just for the heck of it. Quick five star done. And they already have the note for me saying, you know, in most cases, more cases than not, I, I have that automated message that said, hey, we left you a five star review. We'd love you to return the favor. Between those two things, it's kind of oh, like that's an extra, a message. That's a, a message. message. It's yes, a me- oh, I tell them that. Message. Oh, so, yeah. So, so it's super crucial. And they're like, oh, I appreciate that. Thanks. Like you, you, you liked me. Okay. I'll give you some love. And some guests you just can't please. Eventually you're going to get some four stars or hopefully, you know, not like as many three stars, but the vast majority of guests can be like, you know, it was a good stay five stars. You were great. Um, by doing those two things, it is dra- like more than two, two X our review rate since then. And now we appear much higher in search. We get more bookings further out. We could charge more per night. This started this life cycle and it was like the aha moment. The other thing about your Porter is you can toggle, toggle on Airbnb rankings booster and it will swap the last two photos in your listing every day back and forth. And it will change pricing by like a dollar every day and change. It might change like, like if there's a period or remove it in a sentence in your listing, they view that as more active management. I don't know if that actually works. I don't have any data behind that. They say they do. 
So I toggle that on because what, why not? And that helps boost you in Airbnb search as well. So all those things combined can help boost the amount of views you get, which ultimately will lead to all those other things. Ooh, no, I think the key there was the, the, the auto message mm-hmm. to let them know you've left them a review mm-hmm. because then that primes them. But now let me ask you, okay, this has happened and, um, you know, where this, we've had two hiccups or so, and they left along, Hey, this wasn't right. And they weren't happy. Was it right or wrong? I, I don't know, but we looked, it wasn't that bad. Like there was something wrong, but we addressed it. We always address things. Are you likely to still leave a review for those individuals or you'd rather not? So they don't trigger a negative review on your end. Yeah. So usually we, we still have that automated review mm-hmm. and, and message. Um, However, I have turned it off if there was like a maintenance thing that, and maintenance things always seem to happen on holiday weekends when no one can go out there. You know, it, it's it, tough. Don't even start with me, man. We had a flood <laughs> on New Year's. That was oh last my one. gosh. Yeah. I spent my New Year's. It was so yeah. bad. On, actually, our first mountain place, the one I'm in today, filming this with you. Yeah. On our first Christmas last year, there was a windstorm like no other, and it knocked down thousands of trees, 18,000 customers were without power in the County, 18,000. Most of them are rentals cabins. Um, it knocked out a tree on the side of our house. Luckily it didn't damage the house, but it covered the bear proof trash cans. And then it dumped a foot of snow on Christmas Eve and there was no power. And it was like 50 degrees or less in the house. So they were without power for a whole day. And we were addressing those issues. People were cutting down trees off the road. It was nuts. I, there was pictures of people walking to their cabins in the snow because they couldn't get there. Talk about disaster and on like no one's working really, you know? Um, but that's just a side note. If there ever is something like that and people are like, Oh, I'll make sure, you know, it'll be reflected in our review. I'm like, great. You know, I'll either turn auto review off. And if they were a really bad guest, it happens very rarely, but I'll leave them an honest review and say like, you know, and a private note to them, like, Hey, you know, whatever. Um, or I just won't do it and I'll toggle that off. So they don't get pinged as much in yeah, hopes that they don't, but hopefully I really have this inkling that most people are good and respectful. There's people out there though, that regardless how good their stay is, you can't please something's going to be wrong. And people leave us a four out of five star on cleaning, but not say anything to us. I'm like, if you told us we would have addressed it, one, two, like, we'll ask them, you know, Hey, what was wrong with cleaning? Oh, you know, everything actually was pretty good. I'm like, why'd you leave a four out of five? You know, it's like, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like no, those that... people, your first listing, you're going to be like taking everything to heart after that. Once you scale, you just like, you know, it is what it is. Eventually you're going to have a couple, you're not going to be perfect five-star forever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. What are you, what is your uh, take on having people who don't have any reviews stay at your place? I know that's been a thing that we, we thought we were going to be concerned and then we started accepting them. And for the most part, it was okay. But I'm just curious, is that something where you actually like to filter the quality of guests mm. that stay with you? Or do you feel yeah. like, Nope, it's fair game. Um, you're new to the platform. That's okay. We'll take a chance on you. What, what is yeah. your take on that? Yeah. So initially, so you can actually toggle auto book on or off or VRBO it's called instant book. And you could use filters on who's allowed to do that. So for us, I think we have, you know, government issued ID submitted to Airbnb. We can't view that, but Airbnb collects Mm -hmm. that to make sure you are who you say you are. That's number one in order to auto book. Number two, um, I believe we have, they have to send us a message like why they're booking. Um, Once they do that, they can still auto book. 
And number three, you can toggle on have to have a review, previous review. So they have to use the platform and review, been reviewed by a host or vice versa. Um, you can toggle those types of things on. But so I think we have, if they don't have one of those items, they have to message us and they have to request a book. So at that point, we can ask them and do our own screening. And if it's like a local person, like in Nashville, anytime there's a local person booking, usually that means they're having a bunch of friends over and they're going to have a good time. Sometimes it's completely fine, but I want to avoid it because we've had people throw a party and I, I'm not about that. I'm not trying to lose my permit, right? So you can start asking them questions. Hey, what brings you to town? What are you visiting for? How many people are in your group? Um, you can set age requirements too, like 25 years old, for example, to try and avoid kind of like the party crowd. But you could do those things to at least avoid instant book. And then you could decline bookings and you could say like, I'm uncomfortable with this booking or they didn't meet qualifications, whatever. Uh, but most of the time, again, most people are good. So we just like to kind of screen them a little bit up more and then let them book. Because a lot of people are still new to Airbnb platform, which is crazy yeah, to no, me, but right. people are joining every single day, which yeah, is also people, exciting for us as hosts, right? You know. Oh, absolutely. And that's what we've seen. And we you definitely want to cater to those. And that, I feel, it's a little bit more of a manual process. I love the instant books where they get the auto messages going. Sometimes you got to do a little bit more of, you know, but I th- it's worth it, I, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Um, listen, Mike, I could, I could go on for days in the lab with you here, brother. And, you know, I know we got <laughs> some stuff to do. You got some new stuff launching. Uh, you know, you got... You got a lot of business to take care of, so I can't thank you enough. I'm going to hit you with a quick rapid fire questions here. This will be quick, short answer. Um, here we go, man. STR. So I'm curious because I, I defined an STR. I learned this the other day, by the way. It's a short question. Here I am, long-winded. STR versus vacation rental. I believe they're different. Do you see those as the same? I see them as the same, but I'll, Ooh, I'll answer further. Because a short-term rental to me is booking for like, let's say two to seven days on average, but less than 30 days considered a short-term rental. Um, I will consider drop those to two different buckets though, to where it's a short-term rental versus a traditional vacation rental. Vacation rentals are going to be traditionally in the mountain beaches, lakes, where people are going on family vacations. Those are going to be like the four to seven day bookings or more. Short-term rental, I guess, to answer this would be replacing quick hotel stays in any area, but mostly it could be like the cities, you know, like Austin, Texas, for example, you're just coming in for work for a couple of days or for leisure travel on the weekends. I need a short-term rental versus like the traditional vacation. rental. I consider them the same operation, yeah, but different, different clientele, I guess, per se. Okay. So here's an sh- actual short rapid fire question. It's which one do you like better? I think I like the vacation rentals better. I think yeah. you do too, brother. And you get better guests. You. you get better guests, yeah. and and the moolah is is a, is cr- is crazy. Would you say that crazy. that's where the real real bread is? Because I know they it, you also got to furnish it very different. You got to have hot tubs. Mm. You got to have all that stuff. But really, that's where the return comes. Is that fair to say? Have you seen that? Yeah, and most guests are better. Just for mm. example, in Nashville, this is just based on my experience, right? In Nashville, we get a lot of younger crowds. We cater to that, right? The bachelorettes and groups of friends visiting to have a really great time. They're going and drinking on Broadway, enjoying live music, coming back. Yeah, Young drunk people are more reckless than <laughs> a family with kids enjoying the fire pit outside in our mountain place. Um, mm. But your occupancy, it depends on the location, the size of the property. Like you're going to get longer bookings further out in the vacation markets. They're both really good, like where they're both very profitable. Um, but I think where the really big opportunity lies is luxury vacation destinations, like luxury vacation uh, properties in those t- like beaches, mountains. 
if you can be in that top 5%, you could bring in a stupid amount of money per year and provide a really cool experience to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, I think that I personally would love that because I love real estate. I love interior designing. I think that's where I would be passionate to just pour the money into. Um, So that's, but this isn't about me. It is about you. Favorite software. Oh man. Stuck on an island. You got four properties. You need one software. Which one do you use? Yeah, I don't know how you'd be stuck on an island. Be, it, it would be your porter or you know mm. a competing PMS software. I was gonna say Price Labs, but just quick answer: your porter, just because it does all the automation. Cool. Best furniture you would put in the in in one of your vacation uh, rentals? Poly Embark furniture. If you guys haven't checked it, mm-hmm. they make like really nice, modern-looking, high-quality leather furniture, and mm-hmm. it looks. It looks sexy in photos and photos are everything for Airbnb. So Polly and Park. Mm. If you could only do one task within the operation of the entire short-term rental industry and you're tied to just one task, which one do you like doing the most? Or would you <laughs> pick doing the most? Yeah. Well, I definitely don't want to do the maintenance or response to guests. So I think for me, it would be um, the evaluation stays in stage and selecting it's actually more on the investment side. I don't know if you're asking about operations. Maybe you're asking about operations. No, the entire wheel. So it could be the entire wheel. design. It could be it's, it's picking the deal. It could be furnishing. Yeah. Like For me, it's picking the, the deal. Yeah. It's like a game. Yeah. And I built these mm. custom spreadsheets to where they're plug and play. So it's like, how can I, how much cash flow can I make? And how, how much cash on cash return can I make? And how could like stacking properties and loan options? It's just like a game. And it's like, it's kind of yeah. fun to play. And then you tweak the numbers and be like, well, if I do like we were doing the other day, like if I add like this, like cabana in the backyard next to the pool, is that going to make it more of a luxury place? And how will that mm-hmm. affect my average daily rate and occupancy? And ultimately my cash and cash return and cash flow. It's like, oh, I can go from seven grand a month to 10 grand a month in cash flow. Like this is crazy. So like it's the game for me and the chase. And then once you see come to fruition, it's great. But for me, I like love that part of the process. Ooh, ooh. It's stressful, I like but I like it. <laughs> No, I think those are powerful templates and I'm, um, I'm starting to imp- uh, input mine as well and to play around with that. I think it's genius and it's, uh, you know, you got to know your numbers. You got to know your numbers. All right, man. Favorite book. Favorite book. This is probably because it's more of a mindset. It's what shifted my mindset completely is called cash flow quadrant. It's kind of a sequel to rich dad, poor dad. It gets very repetitive mm-hmm. as a lot yeah. of Kiyosaki books do. But I'll t- if it's okay to me to elaborate, I'll tell you why. Oh, totally. My favorite yeah. book. So it talks about cash flow quadrant. There's you know four sections to this quadrant, right? There's um, employees. You're trading the most time amount of time for money. There's self-employed or skilled workers, like you know skilled labor, like doctor or whatever lawyer, where you spend a lot of time. You run a small business or a small practice, you know, uh, practice, and you, they're high earners. But again, more time for more money. Now on the right side is where you stop trading as much time for money and you build systems. Mm. So there's business owners, big business owners, where you build businesses, hire employees where it can run without you and you reap the rewards of all that hard work up front. And then in the bottom right is where I like to be where it's investors. You invest these monies, you build the systems around those investments and they just, they're like, they're like slot machines. They just put money into your pocket every month and they'll run, you know? So understanding that I was like, I got to stop trading my time for money. But I had this whole perceived risk, right? It's risky to invest. And this is where the flip my world upside down, talking about, well, what do, what do we taught when we're young? Go to school, get a great education, 
get a safe, secure job that pays you benefits and 401k and all that. Cause that's what holds people hostage to their jobs that they may or may not like. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, but it's, you know, it's almost like it feels guaranteed, but the idea of, is it actually secure or is it more risky to rely on an employer for all these things versus investing your money over here that could pay you monthly cash flow and set you up for crazy things in life that your ordinary job wouldn't be able to do. The, the perceived risk completely flipped. And then I was like, I need to invest like all my money, you know? And then the Fed's printing money, like 40% plus of the current circulating money supply has been printed in the last 16 to 18 months. Crazy. If you think about that, hyperinflation is here. It's happening. Uh, and regardless of what people say and debate, debate, like that is the main cause of inflation by printing fiat currency. So for me, I was like, if I don't invest and I'm just a saver, I'm literally losing money in terms of yes. buying power. So like, it was like a couple different points I hit on there, but the mindset shift to get me to become shift over to the right side of the quadrant, become a business owner and investor. That's what like completely changed my life and the projection of my life. So like, that's why I like mm. that book. There's a lot of other books I've really loved, but those aspects from that book is what changed, changed it for me. Long answer, but. No, man, that's it. You, you, you nailed it. I mean, that's a hundred percent the ideology to have. And, and once you shift that identity, you start, you know, what person do I need to become and what things do I need to do to, to, to become that person, man. Listen, bro, you over delivered once again, that is on brand and uh, your branding is consistent. So I respect that. Listen, man, how can, obviously I know where to find you and you're super active everyone on social media, but I want to get you, um, I want to give a plug to, to that, um, you know, if people can get access to those forms, they're powerful. I think it's so important to know your numbers. And I think that's the biggest mistake. Um, you know, so how can people tap in more? You know, they found you here. They know you're on the gram. Where else can they tap in to your network to, you know, potentially just follow you and work with you? I mean, I would highly recommend it. Where can they find you, brother? Yeah. So in the link, that's pretty much in all the bios of my social outlets, right? TikTok, Instagram being the two. Um, I also do YouTube more in-depth videos, but in that link is like all the resources. So if people do have interest in some of the free resources are in there. And then some of the other resources, like if you just want the investment analysis template or an arbitrage cash flow analysis, it's in there. The mentorship and all the coursework is in there. And I'm extremely transparent with all those things. So I always tell people that, that are interested in the course, for example, like you can view the literally every title of the every video in the entire curriculum. I want you to know what you're getting into before investing your money in something I created. So yeah. transparency is key for me. Um, but yeah, if anybody wants to come learn or shoot me a message, I try to answer as many people, if not everybody, as I possibly can, like through DMs and all that stuff, just because I love interacting with people. That's how you and I met, right? We sent me a message and yeah, man, we man. hooked up and it's going to be a good relationship for a long Absolutely. time, I think. So um, I'm looking forward and I want to make sure that you... Uh, you know, you got the handle because I know it's a little bit different than your name, but if they type in, you know, uh, it's M-E-L-E Fonte 6 on Instagram. That's Michael Elefante. If you just type that in, uh, you're doing some amazing stuff, brother, and I love what you're doing. And then I see that you got the links over there. TikTok, is it the same thing, brother? Yep. Same thing. Love it. Love it, man. Keep doing what you're doing. We're following. Uh, you know, I love the insights you're giving. Cannot wait for this episode to drop. It's going to be special. And just like that, we are out. If you're a real estate professional, a real estate agent, a real estate investor, a lender, a multifamily syndicator, a contractor, you name it. 
and you're looking to grow your online presence, but you have no idea how to get started or simply don't have the time, at Invested Talent, we help real estate professionals extend their current business to social media. Why is this important? Without this, you wouldn't be listening to this show and your own host, Ruben Kanya, and his team would not have done deals they've done today. As a matter of fact, social media has helped us keep this show together, which now exceeds a billion dollars worth of real estate from our guests collectively. That's right. Our reputation, opportunities, partnerships, and most importantly, real estate transactions were started directly from social media. If you're a real estate professional and you lack an existence on a media platform, Invested Talent can help. Simply go to investedtalent.com forward slash social media and make sure you click the get in touch button to get in touch with our team. Again, that's investedtalent.com forward slash social media and get in touch with our team. You focus on being the brand and we'll help you build it. Now, if you know anything about the lab, you know that we like to give practical advice. So if you feel that this podcast was of any value to you, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes by going directly to the podcast app. From the show's page, scroll all the way down and leave us a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe by clicking the subscribe button and leave us a comment. Lastly, and most importantly, share this episode with a friend you feel will benefit this episode the most. Remember, there's a you and I in build. Let's build, y'all.